This is Made to Conquer, a podcast designed to inspire you to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus told us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door so that when we stand before him, we hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Hello, everyone. This is Tiana Shoei, and welcome to the podcast Made to Conquer. Did you notice something? Did you notice? Did you notice my audio isn't terrible? Y'all, I have been troubleshooting this audio since I got this new computer and I finally (laughs) figured out what it was. I simply was plugging things into the wrong jack. (laughs) Like I, I spent hours software troubleshooting thinking that, oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. And every time I thought I solved the problem and then I just found out, I just literally realized that I was just using the wrong jack on the side of the computer. So there you have it. I'm so sorry that the auto audio has been so rough, but we got it figured out and now now we are in a much better place. So I'm sorry for the past several episodes being so bad. Well, welcome. Happy November. I am very excited to talk to you guys today. So much good stuff to talk about. So really quickly, a few announcements. We have eight, eight, seven calendars left for 2023. They're beautiful. If you have not seen them, let me grab one and I can show it for those of you who watch on YouTube. Sorry, should have done that in advance. Uh, Beautiful cover. It has different Psalms every month. And so what what Lena and I did is we went through and we picked out Psalms. Unfortunately, calendars are expensive to print. So they are 26 bucks. I know it seems like a lot, but they're really, really, really pretty. and again, you know, we don't put a, a markup on this it, uh, much. I mean, that, that barely covers the cost of everything, but they are really, really, really beautiful. So there are only a handful left. If you'd like a 2023 calendar, be sure to get yours in. Um, guys, the new podcast launched. So as I mentioned before, I was working on a new podcast with a, my friend Paul. I just really, I got to be honest with you, I love talking about current events because as a Christian, I am just looking forward to the return of Christ and all of these things to me. It's like I'm scanning the horizon, waiting for the signs, continually saying about the business of the Father. So for me, it's not about getting stressed out or worried about things. It's like, is Jesus coming? Is Jesus coming? Maranatha, Maranatha, is Jesus coming? When is he coming? Where are you? Jesus, where are you? <laughs> and so I very much have that type of mindset about these things. But I also think it's so important for us to recognize that we are living in our Esther moment. This is our time. And what should we be doing as the body of Christ in this season? And so that's why I'm very excited about the Warriors Rising podcast. So you can go to the website, thewarriorsrising.com, and you can find all the links on there. So it's thewarriorsrising.com. You can find all the podcasts on there, all the episodes. So far, we only have recorded one. And well, we did an introduction, but I don't know if Paul's going to post it because my audio was so terrible because I hadn't figured out my audio glitch yet. So I'm trying to convince him just to put it out there with my terrible audio, but I don't know if he's going to fall for it. <laughs> so, uh, but we, we will have great stuff for you guys going forward. I'm very excited about it. Our first episode, I had a hard stop, unfortunately, because we spent the first 20 minutes with technical difficulties. So once we got those worked out, we lost a bunch of recording time. So hopefully in future episodes, we'll get to do a little bit more long form discussion and we won't be so rushed, but I'm super excited about it. Um, please check it out. I think you're going to enjoy it. And, you know, Paul is, as a retired Green Beret, he adds this really different element to the conversation than I do as a woman. So it's it's really cool to have kind of this dichotomy that exists, you know, having having a male and female voice on these really daunting topics. And then the last thing I wanted to say before I uh, thank all of you who support this web, uh, support this podcast. Thank you so, so, so much. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And it really does help keep me going, stay motivated and just cover the costs of putting together this podcast. I work long, hard hours. <laughs> I really do. And I, I self-fund most of this, but the purchases that you guys make on the website and the monthly donations really help cover the basic costs and keep things going and allow us to say, okay, what can we do next? What more can we do? And bless, we bless a lot of people. The Bible says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So I don't talk a lot about the charitable stuff that I do because I'm trying to be obedient in the fact that um, the Lord doesn't necessarily want us to talk about what we're doing. But But I can also assure you that generosity 
with what God has entrusted me with is a big one of my values. And so I do my best to find great opportunities to bless people in need with the resources that God has put in my care. So if, if I'm ever in a situation where we have an abundance, to me, that's God's sign that he has somebody he wants to bless with that money. So just wanted to put that out there. And lastly, Butterfly Box, it's getting to be Christmas time. Last year for Christmas, I bought my best friend a three-month subscription. So she got one in December, January, and February. It was fun to give her Christmas three months in a row. Tiana20, use the code Tiana20, you get 20% off of your monthly subscription. And if you do a six-month subscription, she throws a bunch of other goodies in there. I, I don't talk about this for any reason other than I genuinely love Stephanie, who is the founder and CEO. She has spent most of her career working in crisis pregnancy centers, supporting women. And she started this business specifically to support women in their walk with the Lord. So yeah, you get some fun goodies, but a lot of it is centered around God's word and encouraging you and developing you in your faith. This is a great opportunity for you to bless a Christian ministry, get some great gifts. And if you don't have one person in particular you want to give stuff to, what I do sometimes is I collect the goodies from the different box boxes and I put them together as gifts for people. So there's a lot of ways you can use Butterfly Box in addition to like the cool stuff I have all over my house and the Bible studies and the tools that I use on a regular basis from Butterfly Box. But you can use it also to put together just gifts for different people. So with that said, let's pray and then jump into today's discussion because, oh my gosh, are y'all ready for this? Okay. I think y'all are. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, we stand in awe of you. Jesus, you taught us when we pray, we should pray like this. Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. And we just want to stop and just genuinely say that from the core of who we are. Hallowed be thy name, Father. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for calling us out of the fray. Thank you for transforming us. Thank you for allowing us to be called your sons and daughters. Thank you for giving us wisdom and insight into these days in which we live. Lord, teach us to just need and want you. Teach us. Teach us what it means to be who you designed us to be. Father, help us shed the sin, the world, and all those things that detract us from you. Lord, we give this time to you. We ask that you would lead this. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me and, and these would be your words, not mine. We ask that you would encourage us, transform us, and teach us what it means to follow you. Lord, we just love you and, and we thank you so much, Jesus, that we can say confidently that there is a man, a man, flesh and blood, right now seated on the throne in heaven. Thank you for teaching us the way, Jesus. May we love and honor you with all that we are. In your name we pray. Amen. So, you know, part of the reason why I, I, there's a lot of reasons why I believe the Lord wanted uh, Paul and I to start The Warriors Rising, and it's Paul's podcast and I'm his guest, and that's intentional. I don't have time to take on another thing, but I really do believe that's the way the Lord wanted it set up. But, you know, when I approached Paul and I said, Paul, we got to start this podcast. You know, part of the reason why I, d I did that is because I have an itch inside of me that I can't scratch, and that is if I could for full time do work like at Glenn Beck or um, Matt Walsh, I would do that full time. I love, love talking about current events. I love looking at them through a biblical lens, but I don't believe that that's God's call for this podcast. This podcast is about us deciding that we're just going to press into Jesus at, a, at, at any cost. And Warriors Rising, we talk about w what the current events are and then how we, what we should be doing as Christians about it, what our marching orders are. So there's a slightly different paradigm there. But I, I got to tell you that over the past several weeks, as I just pray through everything that's happening, I wanted to talk about what I believe the Lord really wanted us to talk about today, which is counting the cost, truly counting the cost. You know, to be honest with you guys, those of you who are listening from the United States, now I know that there are some of you who listen to South Africa. I see you in Australia. I see you in Canada. I see you in the UK. I see you in Zimbabwe. My brother's over there in Zimbabwe. Um, I see th that we do have an international audience. And so I'm speaking right now to the Americans, but this may be somewhat true for those of you who are listening around the world. Christianity is easy to practice in this country from the perspective of we don't have a ton of persecution yet. But that easiness has also allowed us to create an unbiblical, complacent form of Christianity that looks nothing like 
the radical Christianity that we are called to in the way that the Bible describes it. So it's actually, I think in some ways, the ease has made it harder for us to be authentic, genuine. We are so much like Laodicea that we are so lukewarm that Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth because you don't think you need anything. But I do see that I do see that tide changing. And so I want to talk a little bit about current events just to frame up what we're going to talk about today for counting the cost. So, you know, the first topic that that Paul and I talked about on the Warriors Rising was abortion. As we looked at the midterm elections and we still as of the recording of this don't know uh, if Carrie Lake is going to be the governor in Arizona, we there's going to be a runoff for Senate which might determine Senate majority for in Georgia. We still don't know the results, but one of the but one of the things that we did get quick results on were the voting for abortion. Now the reason that this was so telling to me is because Roe v. Wade was something decided by nine justices. It was not necessarily the, the will of the people, which was why it was rightfully overturned, because it was legislating from the bench. It was not it was not treating the issue of abortion like it should have been treated, which is dealt with in the legislature at the state level instead of at the judiciary branch in, in, in the, at the federal level. So what, what, the, what, what the overturning of Roe v. Wade did is it didn't make abortion illegal. It put it back in the hands of the people in the states. Well, we got now we had four states that voted on radical abortion laws, and then a fifth state, which was Montana, voted on what happens if a baby survives an abortion, should they have to administer health care to that child? All cases of abortion voting turned out in the very radical sense, in that the right for life was denied, and it, very radical abortion laws came out of this election. And what that told me is that we have really declined morally as a, as a culture. I saw a meme, and I, I, you've never heard, heard me quote a meme on here, have you? But it really sat with me. And it said, we live in a world where everybody is offended by everything but sin. <laughs> Don't you call me a boy if I d decide to identify as a girl. But, but if a baby survives an abortion, then you have to kill that child. You're not allowed to administer healthcare to that child in Montana, according to how they voted. And Prop 1, you can abort the baby after, after it's born, up to 28 days after it's born. Guys, it's, it's pretty bad. And what that tells me is that the decline in our culture has reached a tipping point. I think for a long time, even though there has been a media control and a very left-leaning media control over this country, for, for a long time, I still think that the vast majority of Americans maintained a certain moral thread. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I was listening to Frank Turk's podcast. I always listen to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That's a podcast I listen to every week. And he had somebody on there in in and he was talking about truth. He was an author who just wrote a book about truth. And what was interesting, the author pointed something out. He said, you know, right now, one of the one of the messages that's being told is we don't want Christians in power because we don't want a theocracy. So what that means is one of the lies that's being promulgated by the left is if we have radical evangelical Christians in in political power, then they're going to create a theocracy. In other words, they're going to force their religion upon us and our government is going to be it's going to be forced Christian religion. And that's essentially what they're what they're talking about. But what this author pointed out in Frank's podcast is that we 51 of the 53 founding fathers were professing Christians. And when Bible believing professing Christians come together to create a government, a republic comes out of it, not a theocracy. And a theocracy is not a biblical it's not a biblical model. So no Bible-believing Christian would want a theocracy because it would contradict what, what it, the very nature of what we believe in. And that whole concept of if evangelicals get into power, they're going to create a theocracy is just historically inaccurate and is biblically inaccurate. And so that got me thinking that we really are starting to see this great divide happening in our country where um, the the very radical and very liberal morals are now being accepted as normal, and that has not been the case for most of most of our time. Now, that doesn't mean that we haven't had had waves of culture. I think a lot of what we're dealing with on the abortion issue comes from the sexual revolution that was born out of the '60s. And you know, I I saw a, a brilliant post from a blogger who basically said, you know, that the kids of the sexual revolution wanted to take God's constraints on sex and throw it out the window, but they wanted the Norman Rockwell life. And if you don't know who Norman Rockwell was, he was a, an artist who created these very, you know, traditional American picturesque lifestyle, you know, where mom and dad and everybody loves each other to leave it to beaver scene, essentially. But we didn't want to, we didn't want to accept the 
you know, what it takes to create that is, are the boundaries that God created in the Bible. And so now we're reaping the consequences of saying, you know, God, I don't want your life. And as this continues to progress, we are going to find ourselves as Christians now moving more and more against the grain than we ever have before. And so this is why I wanted to, I wanted to do a podcast on counting the cost. This is what I believe the Lord is moving. Are you ready to stand against the grain of culture? We haven't had to do that in a tremendous way as Christians for, for most of, for most of our existence, but the change is happening so fast. And I'm only 40, soon to be 41 years old. And the acceleration away from godly values has increased over the past five years. It's unbelievable to watch. And I'll say this last thing, and then we're going to get into the God's word and start talking about what Jesus taught us about these things. But I listened to a podcast and I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. And it is a Glenn Beck podcast. And it was with a young lady, um, Whitney, and I forget her last name. It's, it's W. It starts with the W. I will put a link to this in the, in the show notes. As a matter of fact, you know what? Let me just look it up right now because I need to, I need to say the name of this. It'll only take me a second to look it up. Anyway, in this podcast with Glenn Beck. So part of the reason why I strongly encourage you guys to listen to this is I think it is so important for all of us to have an awareness of what's actually happening in the world. We cannot do the bury our head in the sand type of living and not expect to pay the consequences of that. So I'm going to strongly encourage you, it's Whitney Webb, and it's episode 162. He published it on November 5th, and Glenn Beck, Whitney Webb, 162, November 5th. It's an hour and 10 minutes long. And what's amazing about this young lady is that she has dedicated a tremendous amount of her life, and she wrote 2,000-page novels on Jeffrey Epstein. Now you think, okay, why do I care about Jeffrey Epstein? He's dead. I'll tell you why, because what she uncovers and what, what is discussed in this particular podcast is the criminal enterprises that are actually running the, the, the governments of the world. And it gets at the very end, they get into this transhumanist movement that's coming. The transhumanist movement, when you hear this and when you hear just the description she gives now, listen, I've been studying this for a long time. So I, I see the connection with the World Economic Forum. I see everything on the Georgia Stones. There's so many different ways that the transhumanist movement has manifested itself uh, because I, you know, Amir Safati had a great interview with a scientist in this Israel who talked about how they're using this climate crisis, which does not exist, by the way. There is no climate crisis. There is absolutely no climate crisis. Let me just say that again. There's no climate crisis. When you talk to real scientists who are not following the agenda, you, you will see that there's no climate crisis. But they're using this to now bring usher in the new world religion. And this is everything that the book of Revelation was talking about. But when you, when you listen to these and you put all these pieces together, you see this transhumanist movement that's coming in. And there's a couple things that they want to, they want to achieve. Now, first of all, it's Satan and it's Satan's movement. So you have to understand that very simply, we know when we're looking at the psyche of this, that there's a couple motives Satan's always, Satan always has. He's a murderer. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's the father of all lies. So those are basic basic examples and, and descriptions that Jesus gives us of, of the enemy. So murderer, steal, kill, destroy, liar. And essentially, behind the transhumanist movement, they have a couple different things that they're doing. First of all, they want to depopulate the planet. We are about 8 billion people on the planet. They want us to get down to about a billion. They believe that humans are the problem instead of the solution when actually, when you study and do real research, we know that the more humans are, the more actually, the more problems we actually solve. So better, more is better when it comes to human population, generally speaking. And, and again, these are things that in the Frank Turk podcast that I listened to on Friday, he, he talks a lot about that with this the author, uh, Why Truth Matters. And they also want to, you know, basically what they're telling people is that we're going to find a way for you to live forever. And what we're going to be able to do is, is upload your consciousness into a machine. We need to, we need to implant a microchip into the human brain. And Whitney Webb talks about that. And Elon Musk is closely associated with that. So be careful for falling for this narrative that Elon Musk is on our team. Uh, you have to remember very simply, there's two kingdoms, gods and Satan's. And if somebody is not intentionally in God's kingdom, then they're being influenced by Satan. And so you always have to remember that when you're dealing with secular sources. And, and as a side note, one of the other reasons that I, I strongly encourage you to listen to that podcast from Glenn Beck and Whitney Webb is she, she's not a Christian. She needs us praying for her. 
we should be praying for Elon Musk. We should be praying for Joe Rogan. We should be praying for Jordan Peterson. We should be praying for these people who are influencing culture who don't know Jesus on a personal level. But anyway, I digress. So this transhumanist movement, you know, essentially what Satan wants to do is he wants people to worship him. And that's what the entire book of Revelation almost talks about. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's not a fair, because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what chapters 11 12 13 14 15 essentially cover in the book of revelation is that satan is going to set up a, a you know an antichrist a false prophet and he's going to be worshipped and he's going to then put the mark of the beast into people and that will be a form of worship and it will also be the way that they contribute or participate in the economic system and when you hear somebody like Whitney Webb, who's not a Christian talking about what she's seeing, and she doesn't even have the biblical worldview to see it through. You realize, wow, wow, it's happening so fast. And this agenda is so big. So why do I do this? Not to scare you. We have nothing to worry about. If you know, if we're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're going to be raptured before this. You have nothing to worry about. Now, I realize that a lot of people don't tell me about the rapture. Rapture's not in the Bible. Listen, if you want to study the rapture, a mere and Mike, Pastor Mike and Amir on Behold Israel, they cover this extensively. They go through early teachings on the rapture that date back to a disciple that was discipled directly by John. This teaching of the rapture goes back to the very, very, very early church. It, it you know, when they when you have somebody go through it and explain it to you in the scripture, it's very, very, very clear that there's a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, is it possible that that they've misinterpreted that? Yeah, but unlikely, especially because we have teachings that go back to like really, really, really early church history that talk about the rapture that confirm the the interpretation that you know throughout the millennia, different. Bible teachers have had on the rapture. But but even if we're wrong about that, nowhere in the Bible does it say prepare for the tribulation. Nowhere. And by the way, did you know that the word the Greek word for church in the Bible is ecclesia? That's the Greek word. Nowhere does ecclesia show up after chapter 5 until chapter 19. So there is a there is a, a huge gap uh, you know, from from Revelation chapter six until Revelation chapter nineteen, where the word ecclesia isn't used anywhere. So my point being this: it is very, 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 very likely that there's a pre-tribulation rapture, and so we don't have anything to worry about. But it should wake us up, and it should make us understand how dire the time is, and how important the time in which we live is now. And so that's why I wanted to talk about counting the cost. So we're going to go through a couple passages of scripture that talk about this. We're going to start off in Luke chapter nine. Jesus actually covers this con this concept vastly in Luke chapter 9. We're going to start with the end of Luke chapter 9, and we're going to kind of back up into the earlier part. But in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, Jesus says, As they were going on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he's saying, Look, you have to understand, to follow me means you have to deviate from the norm of, of the world. And that's what he's saying. Look, there is this way that exists. That is not the way which I exist. And he said to another, follow me. But he, but he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Verse 61, and another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at my home. But Jesus said to them, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. That is a really powerful statement. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Where do we have an example of somebody who looked back and lost their life? I know you guys, your brains are tickling. Come on, come on. I'll give you a clue. Sodom and Gomorrah, <laughs> Lot's wife. She turned into a pillar of salt when she looked back. And so Jesus is making a very bold statement there. No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I got to ask you guys a question right now. In six months, some something happens. We are in a nuclear war with Russia or China, martial law. Is, is imposed. Now concentration camps are being set up or the concentration camps, the, some of the ones that were set up uh, for COVID are being used. And the, the national terrorists who are these Christians need to be quarantined because they're spreading mis misinformation. And so an officer comes knocking on your door and 
he is looking for Christians because they are spreading misinformation and they're problematic to society. And you need to declare now if you are a Christian or not, and then they need to search your home to make sure that there's no evidence that you're a Christian. What would you do? Would you be willing to give up everything in your life if that's what it costs you to follow Jesus? Some of us are going to hear this and, and we're, going to squ- we're going to squirm a little bit, especially moms. You're going to say, like, you mean I would have to leave my kids? I wanted to ask this question because this is a good check. This is a good gut check for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, I read this in the, man, this just kind of pierced my heart. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Jesus said, anybody who loves your mother or your brother or your sister more than me is not fit for my kingdom. Now, I just want to say this, (laughs) okay? Our early church brothers and sisters, they, they went to the Colosseum, they went to prison, they died, they gave up their lives, they were Nero's candles. That is the heritage that we have. That's, that's, that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is telling us is, guys, in, you know, here are the heroes of faith and, and the world was not worthy of them. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run our race with perseverance. Our church was founded, our body, our, our faith was founded on people being willing to lay down their life for Jesus. So let me ask it this way. There's somebody in your life right now that you love so much that if, if somebody were to break into your home and point a gun at this person or these people, you would gladly step in between that gun and those people and you would take a bolt for them and not even think it, bat an eye at it, right? It's just such a natural instinct for you to say, no, you would never get to my people. Is that our heart towards Jesus? Would we be willing to give him everything if he asked us for everything? Have we truly counted the cost of following him? I'm, at, I'm pausing intentionally because I want to give you a chance to gut check. Now, here's the thing. If you struggle and you say, you know what, Tiana, I'm going to be honest with you. I want to think that if those police officers come knocking on my door, I would easily gladly be hauled off to prison. I want to think that I can trust God with my children. And if that means that they took my children away from me, um, and I, and I fought tooth and nail to, to to keep them. I mean, this was the horror. This is why I, if you have not read Corey Tin Boom's The Hiding Place, I cannot encourage you enough to do this. This was the horror that many people during the Holocaust had to live through. If you struggle at all, I'm not here to judge you. But this is definitely an area where you can say, Lord, I got to grow up in this area. I don't know that I feel this way about you. Because here's what I can tell you. You can't muster up enough energy inside of yourself to love God enough. This type of commitment to Christ comes from saying, Father, I, I want to count the cost. I want to put my hand to the plow and not look back. I want to belong to you in heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to be every bit of what you've called me to be, but I don't know how, and I need your help. I am here to tell you that you can't muster this in you, but by surrendering to the Lord and asking him to teach you, this transformation can occur in you. And then all of a sudden, you will begin to get heaven's perspective on earth's problems. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, you know, it's so funny. I, um, I think I've encouraged many of you guys on here to, if you haven't yet done it, do it. Uh, listen to Chuck Missler's Learning the Bible in 24 Hours. And one of the things that Chuck Missler taught me that I was not aware of and had never seen it through this perspective is that Deuteronomy is three sermons that Moses preaches to the people before he dies. And so he's just kind of reminding them of all the laws. And this morning I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 20, and I really enjoyed Deuteronomy at a whole new level now that I think of it that way. And the Lord is talking to the people about warfare. And guys, I <laughs> here's the thing. We're in a war. We are in 100% warfare. This is not going anywhere. It's not going to get better for us as things draw closer to the return of Christ and as we get closer to the rapture of the church and as we get closer to God redeeming Israel, which is what the purpose of the seven-year tribulation is for. And so when, when I read this and I put on my lens of I'm in the Lord's army, this takes on a whole different meaning. And so I wanted to read this today. 
together. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, starting in verse 1, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses, chariots, and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with you. When you are approaching the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people, and he shall say, Hear, Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or be terrified by them. I love how God says, I'm going to send the priest in front of you to, to hype you up, man. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's not, a ba- it's not a military commander. It's literally a dude in a linen robe telling you, God's going to be with you. And, and that's, how, that's the perspective. He wanted them to think that their power was not coming from their force of might, but it was coming from God himself, which is why he sends his priests as a spokesperson. For the Lord your God is the one who is going with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. The officers shall also speak to the people. Now here's where the officers get involved. Now listen to the difference between what the priest says and what the officers say. Who is the man that has built a new house but is not dedicated? Let him go and return to his house. Otherwise, he might die in battle, and another man might dedicate it. So this is interesting. Verse 6. Who is the man that has planted a vineyard and has not put it to use? Let him go and return to his house. Otherwise, he might die in the battle, and another man would put it to use. Verse 7. Who is the man that is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him return to his house. Otherwise, he might die in battle, and another man would marry her. Verse eight, then the officer shall speak further to the people and say, who is the man who is afraid of the faint heart, who is afraid and faint hearted? Let him go and return to his house so that he does not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. And when the officers finish speaking to the people, they shall appoint commanders of armies and head of the people. The first thing that the officer's job is to do is to weed out anybody who is not all there. If you have unfinished business at home, get out of here because you're not in this battle. If you don't have the courage to be at this battle, get out of here because you're not in this battle. This is so much of what Jesus was saying when he's saying, when you put your hand to the plow, you better mean it. Don't come and get engaged and expect to be a part of my kingdom and not expect to be a part of the war. You are here to be at war and you need to be focused on being at war and you don't need to be focused on the unfinished business you have at home. This is the cost of following Jesus. It will cost you everything. <laughs> I've been listening to this book, Why, Why Believe. I think I've talked about it over and over again, and it's been a phenomenal book. It's, it's an apologetics book, and it's, it's, it's um, written from a Dr. Neil Shevney. I've always get his name wrong. It's an apologetics book written at a PhD level meant for that type of discussion so if you have somebody who's very intellectual that's really struggling it's a great book but he makes this point he says if i were to be able to convince you with all these points that jesus is god and who he says he is and he says and jesus then but you don't believe you don't believe anything i said to you he said but then jesus shows up at your house he just shows up in the flesh and he sits down and he proves you he's god he does the miracles he proves to you and there's no denying that what he says is true and he tells you my bible is completely true you need to follow it how would you feel what would your attitude towards the lord be if if now you have no doubt you have no reason to now doubt jesus is god and all of a sudden he says okay so this is what it means to follow me you have to deny yourself you have to pick up your cross you have to extricate yourself from the world you have to completely change the way that you live you have to deal with all the sin in your life and you need to get plugged into a body and you started thinking about all the things that it entails i apologize <laughs> i have my phone ringer on because I'm waiting for some very, very exciting and important news on a personal level. My baby sister is due to give birth any minute now, and I have never missed the birth of one of my nieces or nephews. And so I apologize for the sounds in the background. I refuse to silence my phone because if it means putting pause and finishing this, as soon as I get the call, I'm out of here. And she was due yesterday. So any minute now, I'm going to be getting the call to show up and baby's on the way. Can't wait. I'm getting my, my eighth and final baby in the family. Anyway, I digress. But if you were, if, if, if Jesus were to do that, there would be a resentment in your heart. And he makes the point that very few of us come to Jesus because our head figured out he was God. Something inside of us changed first and we begin to surrender to that process that the Holy Spirit wanted to take us through. And so I wanna remind you, if you said, I decide to follow Jesus, I wanna be in his kingdom, then this is the time to make sure that you've got no unfinished business, that you've counted the cost, that you've examined yourself and you are saying, I mean this, I'm in this, whatever it may cost me, because I trust God, because I trust that he is good. I was listening to a, a podcast episode 
and I'm not, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to talk disparagingly. And, and I don't blame the Christian that was on this episode because he was kind of put in a corner and he shouldn't have let him let himself get cornered into this conversation. But that, that the podcast host, who's not a Christian was questioning him about like, how can you say homosexual marriage is bad? And you know, what are you going to just hide behind this old book? And with the pod, with the podcast guest, the Christian podcast guest missed was the opportunity to say, God is good. He is our creator. He understands things. He sees things that we don't see. And as our creator, he says, the reason that I call anything outside of this one narrow definition of sex sin is because I understand that it might make you feel good and it may make you happy, but it ultimately leads to death. And that is why we take a strong biblical stand on something. Not because the Bible says, because yes, that's part of the reason, but why does the Bible say? Because God loves us. He created us. He hardwired us and nobody knows better how for, how to operate this system than God. And we, we follow him and we, and we live by him and we live by his word because we trust that he, what, when he says no, it's for our, it's for our good. It's no different than telling a child who would love to eat Halloween candy all the time. You can't live on a diet of candy. It might make you feel good. It might taste good. It might bring you joy and pleasure, but ultimately it will kill you. And the same is true for all sin, including homosexual sin or any other form of sexual immorality or any other form of sin that we tell ourselves is an ultimate killing us. And so when we count the cost and we decide we're going to do it according to God's kingdom, we are doing so putting our faith, which by the way, faith is not a blind hope. It's all going to be good. It is a firm belief based in the evidence that we have that God is good. I put my faith in God that if I do it his way, it's going to be better because he is good and he loves me and he loves you and he loves everybody. And if we did it his way, it would ultimately be for our best outcome. That doesn't mean that it's the easier road. Jesus said that. He said the narrow road is, if you find it, it's the harder road, but there's a reason why God has had us walk down that road. Have you counted the cost? Are you ready to give everything for Jesus? This is something I'm challenged with constantly as a businesswoman. The enemy wants me to believe that I can't talk about Jesus at work. I can't post Christian podcasts on LinkedIn because you're not allowed to talk about Jesus at work. But God tells me, obey me and let me take care of the consequences. And if you lose your job because you you were following the leading of the Holy Spirit and you spoke up, then God has another plan and he has another way and he's going to use you in another way. And I think I told you guys the story about I was at a business dinner. It was me and seven men. I'm in, very, in a very male-dominated industry. And God opened the door for me to share the gospel. And for almost an hour and a half, I sat there at a table with seven men and shared the gospel. That is not according to the rules of the world. That's not acceptable. But I don't live according to the rules of the world. I've counted the cost. And that, that night may have cost me my job. But you know what? I trust God that if he leads me into an opportunity and I'm being obedient to him, I will let him take care of the consequences. And if, he, and if I lose my job someday because I'm an outspoken Christian, he's going to put a roof over my head. He told me that. He promised me that in Matthew chapter 6. I do the things that I do because I put my hope and trust and believe that God is good. Period. Have you counted the cost? Now, going back to an earlier part of Luke, we're going to start in Luke chapter 23, excuse me, Luke 19, y'all, words, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, <laughs> Jesus says this, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, you have to remember he's saying this pre-crucifixion. So put yourself in the mind of the disciples that he's speaking to at this, okay? Sometimes the best way to understand the Bible is to put yourself in the mindset of the people at the time that's being written to. Because remember, the Bible was written for you, but not to you. The Bible was written for you, but not to you. So when you, when you read this, okay, so here are people, and when they think of crucifixion, it's the most grotesque, horrible form of punishment. It's awful. It, 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 it's always there in the back of your mind because, you, you know, the crucifixion was a very public thing. So you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. So what in the world? This is radical, you guys. This is radical when you think about this. For us, we just understand, oh, he's got to die to myself. Like, no, 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 no. This is radical, what's being said here. In other words, you got to take up your electric chair every day, put yourself on the electric chair, fry yourself and follow me. You got to take up the lethal injection every day and follow me. That is what Jesus was saying to the people at the time. Put it in our modern terms. 
you got to take it. You got to stand before the firing squad every day and follow me. This is how radical what Jesus was teaching is about. Because he says in verse 21, here's why. Because whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake is the one who saves it. <laughs> He's, here's why, guys. Because if you truly want to save your life, this is the path you have to go down. Verse 25, what good does it do for a person gain, to gain the whole world, but loses his life and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, oh, sorry, that's the end of it, yeah. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and his holy angels. James says it to us in a slightly different way. In James chapter 2, starting in verse 12, James says, So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment will be merciless to those who show no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What use is it, brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can faith save him? Can that, excuse me, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, yet you do not give them what they, is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone well may say, I have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What James is saying here is, it is true that you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But then the byproduct, the outcome of that faith means that your works now show that you are a child of God. It's not that your works save you. It's that your works are the fruit, the evidence of your faith. That's why he's saying here, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. I will show you my faith by my works. The proof of my faith is by my works. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe in each other. Ooh. So he's saying, who cares if your theology is right? Yay, the demons know about God. Ooh. <laughs> but you are willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. So in other words, his works are a byproduct of his faith. As a result of the works, faith was perfected and scripture was fulfilled which says and abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of god you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone in the same way rahab the prostitute was not justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way or sorry i misread that in the same way was rahab the prostitute not justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way so in other words rahab had the faith that if she took care of the spies and then she did the works by protecting them and so her faith and works went hand in hand for just as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead these works are not just the things that he gave examples of of us being good christians and doing the right thing but these works are those opportunities that god gives us to obey that time we have to push against culture that time we have to be the salt and the light we have to stand out we have to do the things that make us uncomfortable we have to when the you know and I, in that scenario i gave you of the police and the nuclear I, i'm I, you know I, that was not i'm not saying that that's what's going to happen i was just trying to create a scenario where you would have to choose and it could cost you everything would you choose that and that's that's what this is about your works if you have the faith you claim to have would would coincide would would follow up would back up would reinforce the faith that you proclaim to have Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? If you do not have that deep, profound love for the Lord, it's okay. It takes time to develop that love relationship with him, but I would encourage you, pray about it until you do. Pray about it until you would be willing to give him everything. Ask him to teach you what it means to love you, to love him and follow him. I pray that all the time. Jesus, teach me what it means to love you. Teach me how to love you. Teach me to make you my God. Show me where I have adultery. Show me where there's anything competing in my life for you. Show me where I would be a coward before men. Refine me. 
I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton because we are in a battle and I know kind of a little bit of uh, spanning a couple topics here, but I, I just thought this was a good quote. G.K. Chesterton, if you don't know who he is, was an amazing Christian man and an apologist, or excuse me, a theologian. He says this, the true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. We fight because we love Jesus. We fight because God's word matters. We fight because we are a part of a different kingdom. We fight because our value system is different than the world. We fight because God says so. And we take care of our business. And when we show up on the battlefield, we're not faint-hearted. We're not thinking about other things. We are there. We are engaged. We are belong to Jesus. We are focused. We've counted the cost. We've put our hand to the plow, and we're not looking back. King David said it this way in Psalm 84. How lovely are your dwelling places, Lord of armies. My soul longs and even yearns for the courtyards of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird has also found a house and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she may put her young. Your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed is the person whose strength is in you and whose heart are the roads to Zion. Your heart is going towards the things that God is calling you to is what he means there in verse six. Passing through the Valley of Baca, they make it a spring. So the Valley of Baca is darkness. It's, it's a dry and barren place. So even though things are terrible, what he's saying is that they, those whose heart belong to you, when they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. See our shield, God, and look at the face of your anointed. For a day in your courtyards is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of God then live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. He withholds no good thing from those who walk in integrity. Lord of armies, blessed is the person who trusts in you. David said, look, I know what the cost is. And the cost is such that I would rather just stand in the threshold of your kingdom than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Better is one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Have you counted the cost? If not, I would just ask you to ask the Lord to transform you, change your heart. Because what you don't need is a head transformation. What you need is a heart transformation. We all do. <laughs> I don't know that I could say that I would be willing to lay down my life for the Lord until I've learned to, to ask the Lord to create that love for him in me because it's only when i get to that point that i can be used the way he wants to use me in this world guys we we are living in the end times the days are becoming evil these things that i brought up early on in the podcast were to, to paint a picture for you of the reality of the world in which we live and, and if you take the time to listen to that glenn beck interview you're going to understand how bad it is it's worse than we realize we are so ignorant and naive to how bad the underbelly of this machine is and it's bad it's real it's alive and it's thriving but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We are not warring for victory. We are warring from victory. If we decide that we are going to be a part of the kingdom, the kingdom of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then we are enlisting in an army. We are enlisting in a battle. And it's going to cost us everything. We are most likely going to lose our lives on the battlefield. So what? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure buried in a field. He sold everything he had to obtain that treasure. What is in that field, what is in that treasure is far greater than anything that will cost us. I encourage you to count the cost and then recognize that the cost is worth. Jesus is worth anything that he's going to cost us. Heavenly Father, this is a hard message that you've laid before us. We can hide away our problems in the world. We can drink them away. We can become addicts of whatever it is, food, sex, drugs, alcohol, music. And we can live our days in this world in some semblance of peace until the enemy decides he comes calling and wants to destroy us because that's what he does. 
we can live by this world's value system and in some ways it would be easier but ultimately lord that would cost us everything yet you call us to a higher path you call us to a different road you call us to lay down everything you you call us to pick up our cross the instrument of death every day and to die to ourselves so that you might live in us and yet while that is the narrow road and the harder road you say i'm always going to be with you i'm always going to be fighting the battles for you i am your shepherd i will be there every step of the way leading you guiding you seeing you through and ultimately where i will lead you will be unimaginable no ear has seen no eye has heard can comprehend what the lord has in store for those of us who follow you and so father we put our faith in you not because we are blind and we are blindly hoping that all things are going to work out good but because we have assurance that you are god that you are who you say you are you're going to do what you say you're going to do and so we put our faith in you because we know that by doing so you as the king and the one who claims to love us will deliver us and so father we love you and we thank you for that we thank you that you gave us an option none of us got to be born into the circumstances or choose what circumstances we're going to be born into in this life, but we do get to choose for the next life. In Jesus, we choose you here and now. Father, if we don't know what it is to love you with everything, if we don't know what it means to put our hand to the plow and look back, if we have not counted the cost and if we are not willing to give everything up for us, if you are not the Lord of lords and kings of, king of kings in our heart of hearts, and Father, we come before you right now and we ask that you would help us. Help us to surrender everything to you, to belong to you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Father, we love you. We want to belong to you with every fiber of our being. And Father, we want to continue on the heritage of the early church, Father. And we say, you know what? If it's the Colosseum, it's the Colosseum. If it's Nero's candles, it's Nero's candles. Whatever that may look like, because your grace is sufficient, we say, yes, Lord, we will hold nothing back from you because we trust you, you are good, and we are your children. And when we made that decision to enter into your kingdom, we forsook all. So, Father, help us in our weakness. Show us where we must grow. Transform us, conform us, do what you must do. And so, Lord, we've counted the cost. In Jesus, you are worth it. Now teach us to follow you as long as we draw breath. We pray this in the powerful, beautiful, precious, and wonderful name of Yeshua Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Made to Conquer. I'll catch you guys on the other side of Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Made to Conquer. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends and family, anyone else you think would enjoy joining us on this journey of drawing closer to Jesus.